Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Small Talk, a podcast where we explore the Boston Children's Hospital community through conversation. My name is Stephanie Chapetta, and I'm a nursing professional development specialist at Boston Children's Hospital in the Clinical Education, Informatics, Quality, and Practice Department, or CEI for short. Today, I am joined by my co-hosts, Teresa Shannon and Kate Donovan. And we are also excited to be joined by our special guests, um, Julia McSweeney and Chris Reeves in celebration of MP Week. So thank you both for being here with us today. And I would love if you could each take the moment to introduce yourselves and your role here at Boston Children's. I'm Julia McSweeney. I have worked at Children's since the early 2000s. I started as a clinical assistant in cardiology and then uh, worked my way up to a staff nurse and started as a nurse practitioner in 2008 for the pulmonary hypertension team. Roughly two years ago, I then took the role of APRN director for the hospital, and I am now senior APRN director. And I am Chris Reeves. I am currently a nursing professional development specialist in clinical education and informatics with Stephanie. I started here at Children's about 13 years ago as a, a clinical assistant and then became a staff nurse in the emergency department, pursued advanced practice as a nurse practitioner, worked elsewhere clinically, having completed a residency program and then returned to education uh, to really focus on professional development and education for uh, advanced practice nurses and nurse practitioners specifically. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you so much for both being here. We really appreciate your time. And I just love hearing your background stories and did not realize before we came into this that you both started here as a clinical assistant. And I think it's really awesome to see how you guys have gone through the ranks um, and got to where you are today. So I would love to hear a little bit more about what made you interested in pursuing your advanced degree and becoming a nurse practitioner. It's interesting. I would say it was an evolution of sorts. I always knew that I wanted to be a nurse. And so when I was in nursing school, I worked as a clinical assistant. And it gave me sort of a frontline understanding of the clinical setting and patients and what the hospital was really like. When I was halfway roughly through nursing school, I went to Boston College. I was introduced to the concept of a nurse practitioner. And honestly, I, I hadn't considered it prior to that. I come from a long line of physicians. And so I was doing something different in going into nursing. And when I heard about it, I thought, well, this is sort of a little bit of both uh, and a nice mix of the two. So I did an accelerated program, wasn't official yet in terms of what's now a five-year program at Boston College. But uh, at the time, I used my undergraduate elective slots to take graduate level courses. And so uh, I completed my graduate degree. Uh, and slowly worked as along the way as a when I was a nurse, I still worked as a CA, uh, believe it or not, because I was in um, school to be an NP. When I became an NP, I then worked as a nurse to gain experience. Uh, and then I finally went to uh, practicing as an advanced practice nurse and an NP in cardiology. So it was an interesting evolution and not one that I had mapped out for myself, but one that I certainly value now. I look at the CAs and the nurses that I work with, and I have a great respect for what they do. That's great. I'm curious, was there something about cardiology specifically that drew you in, or was that just kind of fell in your in place kind of thing for you? I don't know. It's so long ago. I was a CA and a staff nurse in cardiology, so it stuck. I think that I was fascinated by it. I think I like 
the complexity. I like the unpredictability and the way that it often interrelates with other systems. So you rarely do you have a heart problem in isolation. Oftentimes it's affecting neurological status or GI status or uh, developmental delays and, and other things. And I liked the interplay of one disease state with the entire body. I mean, I think that's what we do as NPs, right? We don't focus on one problem or one issue. We're focused on the whole patient. And to me, cardiology was that in a subspecialty. You're not focused just on that one system. You're focused on all of the systems that it impacts. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Chris, love to hear about your journey in becoming a nurse practitioner. Yeah. So similar to Julia, I didn't necessarily go into nursing thinking that I would be a nurse practitioner or, or an educator necessarily. It was really due to a lot of mentorship and trial and error and seeing what fit and what didn't fit. My first degree is actually in biochemistry. And I ended up working in a lab and realized I enjoyed people more than I enjoyed pipetting. And so that's actually what drew me to Boston Children's as a clinical assistant, it was an opportunity to sort of embed myself within healthcare. And this is true across every role that I've taken. Once I've been in a role, I really see the true nature of what's happening. So as a clinical assistant, I had this perception of how healthcare worked and who did what. And what I observed as a CA was that nurses in the ER were doing a lot of work and were doing a lot of the things that I, for the fault of media, thought that a physician was doing, for example. Like they're the ones who are caring for patients and nurses follow the orders and et cetera. But there's a lot of autonomy that happens at the bedside in all of nursing and ER specifically, and that care and compassion and physical touch and time spent with the patient was really what the nurse was doing. So as a CA, that's what drew me into nursing specifically. I was sort of unsure of what direction I was going in, and then that really solidified my journey into nursing, and I very much identify as a nurse now. When I ended up practicing as a nurse, again, in the emergency department, there's such breadth of medical problems and there's such variety in terms of acuity. And so I had this great exposure to different kinds of patients and different amounts of sickness. And for me, what pulled me further into advanced practice was that while there was breadth in the problems and acuity, there wasn't so much depth that we would sort of stabilize and then disposition either send home, go upstairs. And I was really hungry for sort of more deeply understanding and thinking about how to care for patients over a longer period of time. So that's what drew me back into advanced practice was to not only deepen my knowledge of the pathophysiology, et cetera, but to really see the longer scope of how to care for a patient in, in terms of timeline. It's interesting that I ended up doing that because I joined the ER because I loved trauma and the acuity. That's what pulled. And I think that's what draws a lot of people in the ER. And so I ended up doing, once I finished my master's and became a nurse practitioner, I ended up doing a residency program in Washington, DC. That was a mix of trauma surgery and critical care. And I really went there specifically with, with trauma surgery in mind. And the critical care was like, yeah, that's it's secondary and it will be helpful to support my trauma surgery need. And when I ended up there, I found that like that depth and longitudinal care of patients that I was really hungry for, I saw very much in, in critical care. And it was matched with the acuity that I really enjoyed within the emergency department. So that's what actually I ended up practicing for five years at another institution in critical care, neurocritical care in, in an advanced practice role. I'm curious to hear a little bit more because you both talked a lot about the patient care and the differences in the conditions that we care for at Children's. 
cardiology having effect on all the systems and emergency, you get to see a little bit of everything. Um, you talked a lot about the patient care side of things, but both of you are currently in roles that aren't as patient facing. Um, and so I'm curious how it is then that you landed in those positions. I'm a firm believer that if an opportunity presents itself and a door opens in life, you walk through it and you explore and see what's on the other side. Uh, I never intended to be in a leadership or administrative role. That was not the goal of me becoming an NP. My goal was to treat patients and to be involved clinically, sort of frontline care provider. I think the longer you work as a nurse practitioner or probably in any profession, the more you zoom out and you look at something from a 30,000 foot view instead of a 500 foot view. And you start to recognize areas where if we standardized processes, we could become more efficient or there are inequities that we could correct, or there are things that we could do to better support one another or build a sense of community. And working here for years, I think I saw some of those areas of potential improvement. And when this role was created, for an APRN director, I wasn't even sure I would apply, to be honest. I was aware of the role, but not sure that it was for me. And it it took some time for me to come around to the idea of, I'll throw my hat in the ring and I'll see what happens. It's I think it's one of the best decisions I've made in my career. It challenges me and fulfills me in a completely different way. I liken it to the transition that one makes from being a bedside nurse to being a nurse practitioner. When you're a bedside nurse, you, you get used to your feeds are going to be hung at this time. Your meds are due at this time. I had endless note cards with little check boxes and I loved checking off the list and making sure everything was done. And I, I felt very accomplished at the end of that. When I became a nurse practitioner, it was an adjustment for sure, because I was less about the process itself, less about those check boxes and more about sort of the overall bigger picture. And I think that moving from being a nurse practitioner to, to being the senior APRN director was a similar process. I think initially it felt like I was doing less because I was checking less boxes. And then I realized that my role in leadership is to create systems that support others to check those boxes in a more efficient way and in a way that fulfills them. And that my role is to sort of help with that process and be an advocate for NPs. And it's less about that, of course, gives me a million boxes to check in other categories, but it's less about those direct patient care boxes and more about creating systems that better support the NPs that are delivering the care. Everything that Julia said resonates with me from an education perspective, right? I think after a period of time that you spend in clinical care, you start to see how the system fits together and how that role fits into that complex system and also opportunities for you to influence the system. And for me, education was one avenue as leadership was for Julia in which I could influence the system and make changes more at the systems level that could impact more people. And I'll 
ultimately my patients through those practitioners, whether they're NPs or nurses alike, and the whole interdisciplinary healthcare system as well. My personal experience and like my aha moment was I was working very much clinically uh, in the neuro ICU. And I ended up starting when the unit was very new and there were just two of us. And they didn't really know how to integrate NPs into the practice. And so it was a sort of figure it out, ask questions, let us know what you need. And over the five years that I was there, I ended up being in the lead NP position there and helped to grow the team from two up to nine and ultimately 24-7 coverage. I was hired. It was like, any day you can cover, please come in. So it was a significant shift in how NPs were utilized within the practice setting. One thing that I reflected on my own experience was I didn't have great onboarding or orientation to my role. And I came from Children's where there's a huge infrastructure to think about onboarding and orientation and competency. And so reflecting or using that previous experience, I developed a competency-based orientation program for the NPs that we were hiring in this growing group within the ICU. And it was that moment that I said, oh, I really do have much more of an influence on a broader scale and how these NPs stay within their positions, feel comfortable in what they're doing, and the quality of care that they provide the patients that they're coming in contact with when I'm operating from an educational perspective. And so it was that experience and seeing the outcomes of that experience that really drew me closer to education. I always said my mom and my grandmother and my sister are all teachers. And I said, I will not be a teacher. Like I'm going to buck the trend and I'm going to go be a nurse. But I understand the power of education now. And here I am a teacher amongst teachers and a nurse. Yeah. A lot of what you just said resonated with me. In my transition into education, you both make me laugh because I started a program called Finding Direction to really look at RN career advancement opportunities. And I could have the two of you just teach the whole four-hour program because we talk about education, leadership, and nurse practitioner. And you guys check a lot of those boxes. With that being said, that is a big question that people have who go into nursing. Do I want to stay bedside? Is there something else that I want to do? What would I find fulfilling? Um, and what are other roles like? And so I'm wondering if either one of you or both of you uh, could take some time just to just describe the role of the NP. What is your scope of practice? And recognizing that NP falls under the APRN branch, there are other categories. I think that's not as clear to people who don't know the graduate education system. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your scope of practice as an NP. I'll give the foundation of advanced practice nursing at Children's. So APRN, Advanced Practice Registered Nurses. In Massachusetts, there are five roles that are recognized as APRN roles. The Clinical Nurse Specialist, or CNS, the Nurse Practitioner, or NP. Uh, the Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist, the CRNA. And the Psychiatric Clinical Nurse Specialist, the PCNS. We at Children's have five APRN roles as well. We have CNS, the psychiatric CNS, the nurse practitioner, the CRNA, and uh, we do not have any nurse midwives for all of the obvious reasons. Those are next door across the glass hallway. But we do have nurse practice specialists, which are similar, not identical, but similar to the CNS role. So the vast majority of our APRNs are nurse practitioners. By and large, our nurse practitioners are, I think, roughly 80 to 90%, if not more, I, I haven't done the math, but off the top of my head, of our APRNs at Children's. And 
Of course, APRNs are part of a greater umbrella of advanced practice clinicians. So the umbrella of advanced practice clinicians at Children's includes our APRNs, specifically our NPs, and then it includes physician's assistants and PharmDs. So NPs fall under the APRN umbrella, but NPs also fall under the advanced practice clinician umbrella, along with the PAs, the CRNAs, and the PharmDs. So it's sort of a Venn diagram with overlapping areas of expertise. And I can let Chris speak to scope of practice, but I would summarize it by saying it's highly variable throughout our hospital and throughout the state and the nation for that matter, in terms of what scope of practice looks like. So I think that Julia highlights, I think the last thing you said about highly variable applies not just to the hospital, but to the profession of nurse practitioners in general. And that I think contributes to some confusion uh, around role and scope, uh, because it actually varies across all the states within the country. So much like nurses, whose practice is defined by the Nurse Practice Act of each state, so too is the uh, nurse practitioner scope as well. There's a lot more variation, however, within nurse practitioners uh, in terms of what we call full practice authority. So ultimately, at the philosophical level, nurse practitioners are a role that expand from nurses into providers who acquire additional skills to be able to more deeply assess, diagnose, prescribe, create plans, and then monitor those plans. Ultimately, every graduate program meets those expectations. Accredited programs meet those expectations. The extent to which NPs can actually apply those skills is limited by the state in which they practice. And that's an ever-changing landscape. At this point, a majority of the states in, in the U.S. are full practice authority, meaning they can do those core practices. But there are still a handful of states in the, in the U.S. that have restricted practice, so they may be able to do some. And some states have severely restricted practice as well, where they essentially do a lot of the administrative managerial secretarial work and don't actually practice to the full scope of their training. And so it's hard to actually answer that question. In Massachusetts, if COVID had one positive effect on healthcare, I would say it really pushed and accelerated the transition of NP practice in in the Commonwealth to its fullest scope. So uh, as a result of the public health emergency, NPs were called upon to act at sort of the broadest scope of their training and contribute to this emergency care. And in doing so, demonstrated their appropriate training and safety practice in an expanded role. Uh, So much so that Governor Baker at the time then identified it as a strength of our healthcare system and then signed into law uh, full practice authority and prescriptive authority for nurse practitioners. So asked this question five years ago, NP scope here in Massachusetts was limited uh, where they needed physician oversight, direct physician oversight consistently to prescribe. Now, post-pandemic, NPs after two years of supervised prescribing have the ability to have full uninhibited practice where they can hang a, a shingle in the community, open up a practice and practice essentially in the same way, technically as a physician under a nurse practitioner philosophical lens. And so they can open your own practice, you can prescribe independently and don't need that physician oversight. That is to say, we still collaborate in interdisciplinary teams. And so we rely on physicians and often our physicians are relying on the expertise of nurse practitioners to provide effective care for all kinds of patients. But it was a real success for nurse practitioners in terms of scope of practice through the pandemic. 
That's interesting to hear because I, as someone who runs RN orientation, which our NP colleagues are part of the RN orientation process for some of it, certainly have personally noticed the increase in nurse practitioners that have been in attendance. And so I'm curious if that's your perception that because these policies and laws have changed um, and the need for nurse practitioners has grown so significantly, is that the impact that we're feeling here at Boston Children's with our rising NP population? You know, I would say that probably related to some extent, but I, the the growth in interest in nurse practitioners, I think, preceded any change in our scope of practice laws here in Massachusetts. Part of that, I think, is attributable to the increase in the number of nurse practitioner programs, many of which are online and more accessible to working professionals. There are many nurses who, and many nurses in our enterprise who are working full-time as nurses and also on the side working diligently to advance their practice. And it makes it more accessible to those folks to do it online. So I think that it certainly, we see an increase and we've seen this if you look at the numbers of NPs being hired into the enterprise, it's growing essentially exponentially. You can see the, the, the steep curve, but I think that it's multifactorial situation. And do you know off the top of your head how many nurse practitioners are employed at Boston Children's, roughly? Around uh, 650 nurse practitioners and growing. I can say to date, I orient all of the nurse practitioners that come into our hospital, and we're on target to have about 90 new hires through this calendar year. I would add one thing to that, which is we're seeing that here at Children's, but we're also seeing it across the country. That U.S. News and World Report ranked nurse practitioner the top healthcare job in America in 2022 and again in 2023. And the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics looks at average national growth rates for all occupations. So the average national growth rate predicted for all occupations is 2020 to 2030. That decade of time is about 8%. So that's all comers. Healthcare occupations, it's supposed to be about 16%, so double that in the healthcare industry. Nurse practitioner growth rate is projected to be 45% between 2020 and 2030. And to put context on it, uh, RNs is projected to be 9%, PAs about 30%, and physicians and surgeons about 3%. So it's an impressive exponential increase in a professional population. Not only here at Children's are we seeing that, but predicted across the country, I think we'll continue to see that over the next decade. Wow, that's really interesting. If you had advice or if you felt like someone had a question about you know, whether or not they wanted to become a nurse practitioner, what is some advice you would want to share with someone for opportunity that you would want them to take on to kind of decide if that's the role they want? So one of the pieces of advice that I give folks in your finding direction program for folks who are thinking about expanding their nursing, nursing practice is when it comes to nurse practitioners, that there's, I think there's a cultural expectation that the next step from being a nurse is to be a nurse practitioner. And I really emphasize that while, yes, it is a large and growing group and a necessary and much needed group for providing high quality care to our aging, increasing complex population, there are other also opportunities to grow within advanced practice nursing as well. And I think also 
within nurse practitioners, what I emphasize is that there's this huge idea that nurse practitioners are purely clinical. And I think you can see from myself as well as Julia that there's also opportunity to do lots of other things as a nurse practitioner, much like a nurse, right? A nurse is not just clinical. A nurse is complex and they can work in quality and research and in a variety of settings as well. And so the advice that I would give to folks is come see what we do because there's a lot of chatter. Also, if you go and read things on the internet, there's a lot of informal, not really vetted information about who NPs are and who NPs are not or what they do or can do. And also there's a lot of conflicting information about the quality of care that they provide. And that's partly related to increasing scope. There's a lot of discomfort around increasing scope. And so there's a little bit of pushback at the national level appropriately sort of wondering, is this growing faster than we can handle it? My strong feeling is it's growing appropriately. We have the resources to support it, and it will be an essential part of providing both primary and acute care for our growing populations. But come see what we do, learn it firsthand. Obviously, do your research, read online, but integrate that. There are many ways of knowing, and one of which is like that lived experience by stand by somebody and see what they do and, and get a sense for what it is. Chris gives an excellent answer. I think I would add a more generic response on the tail end of his, which is, I always tell, I have two kids, and I always tell my kids, what would you do if you couldn't fail? And what would you do if there weren't any limitations? You know, you're not worried about the money or the work or the years in school or the, if you just think about how do you want to spend your time? What puts you in that sort of flow state where you are doing something that you feel like is right for you? if nurse practitioner becomes on that list, then I would go and explore it, like Chris said, and see firsthand what we're doing. And if you don't necessarily connect with one area, realize that there are many areas and there may be other uh, non-clinical or if you're inpatient, there could be an outpatient opportunity that it comes in many shapes and forms. Um, I often hear people say, becoming an NP takes forever. By the time I go to school and then I and then I get my bachelor's and I pass my boards, then I go back to school and I get my master's and then I pass my boards and then I have to constantly, we have to maintain certifications and licensure. Is it worth it? You know, I think obviously for many of us it is, but I do think if it's something you're interested in, you set your sights on it. And it, those goals don't always happen when you want, and they don't always happen how you want and look the way you think that they're going to look in the process of getting there. But that ultimately, if you have your sights set on wanting to become an NP, there are many different ways to approach getting there in terms of schooling and education and preceptorships and clinical rotations and mentorships and if you hit a roadblock in one avenue, I would encourage interested individuals to detour and look for another avenue. I think that's great advice. You know, one of the benefits of working as a nurse or even in healthcare is how many avenues and options that you can have in your career. It is about taking that time to do some self-reflection on what is important to you, where do you want to be, and how are you going to get there? So what are the opportunities that you can take in the meantime to figure out those steps? So um, I think that's really important. And um, I love what you say to your kids. I, I'm going to adopt that. I am wondering, um, what is your personal favorite aspect of your job as a nurse practitioner? The people, the people that I work with, the other MPs, the nurses, the physicians, the leaders, everyone, the people that I work with make it worthwhile. 
and the challenge that they present, you know, whether it's critically thinking about something or pushing you to do something you wouldn't have done and challenging you to take it to the next level. I really enjoy Boston Children's Hospital staff and people and community. There's a lot of depth there, I think. I think when I reflect on my clinical practice and the thing that I really get deep gratification from are having the opportunity, and this is true for nursing as well, and why I love nursing and and stay within nursing is the opportunity to share some of the most vulnerable times with people. And working in neurocritical care, virtually everyone in the intensive care unit has some form of disability that will either send them back to the community with disability or will end up in a death. And and so these are hard conversations and often abrupt. And my opportunity to meet people in that moment where they're at and to not just provide medical care and direction and help them to interpret what's going on, but also to have a human experience with them and share that is what keeps me engaged. The word compassion, we often think about as a noun, right? It's a thing we give people in that moment. I give you compassion, but I tend to think of it more as as a verb. It's something I do with you, right? And the root of it being calm, like with and passion, suffering is really just to be with the suffering and that experience and not trying to change anything, but to see people where they're at. So that's what keeps me. And that's not to say that any other role in the hospital don't do that, but that's what's kept me within nursing and not leaving. I think that's another larger thing we talk about is that in the wake of COVID, everyone is like, there's the, a, a challenge where people are like, do I want to do this? And it'd be easy to go find a nice IT job someplace else and get a new skill set, work at home. But for me, it's the people and that incredibly vulnerable space that I get to occupy and that keeps me engaged. Thank you. That was a very thoughtful response. Switching gears a little bit, what are some of the things that you each have been able to implement over this past year that you feel has created positive change for the NP group here at Boston Children's? I'm very excited to share and talk about a project that I've been working on for the past year that is launched in the beginning of September, and that is a transition to practice fellowship for advanced practice nurses and PAs who are interested. So we have a very well-established nurse residency PTAP program uh, that's accredited with distinction at Children's But we didn't have that analog for advanced practice nurses. And we know that it's a role transition, just like a student moving into a novice nurse, a nurse transiting into a novice NP generates a lot of the same feelings of uncertainty and transition. And NPs are just as deserving as support in that transitional period. So I'm very excited to have developed a 12-month fellowship program that supports the professional and psychosocial needs of individuals in their first year of practice who are just trying trying to get a footing, figure out their role, figure out their practice, and figure out often their community. We hire a lot of people from outside, and they're trying to figure out a whole new system. So I'm very excited to have launched that and give the new hires an opportunity to really connect with a community and to feel like they have a sense of belonging within our enterprise and want to stay and then want to give back to the growing group of nurse practitioners in the hospital. Chris, I was wondering if maybe you could just elaborate a little bit on what that program itself looks like, Um, like length of time, how many classes, what's involved. Um, I think that would just be really interesting to hear a little more about. 
Sure. Yeah. So it's a it's a 12 month program that is open for nurse practitioners and, and physician assistants, essentially new to practice with less than one year of practice experience in the advanced practice role. And over the 12 months, there are 10 classes, full day classes that offer a variety of content delivered in a variety of methods from lecture based to discussion based to simulation based information. And the content itself fits into three larger domains. The first domain being clinical practice and and a clinical domain, which people are often very hungry for, right? Like, teach me how to prescribe, teach me how to diagnose, teach me how to read an x-ray, teach me how to suture. And so we give people the opportunity to to hone some of those clinical skills. Uh, But we also add two other domains, the second domain being a professional domain. So learning professional development skills. How do I have a hard conversation with somebody, with a peer or with a family? How do I work in an interdisciplinary team? How do I read a scientific paper and thoughtfully contribute to a journal club that I'm invited to within my department? We also include the topics around ethics. How do I reinterpret ethics in my advanced practice role as compared to how I understood it in a nursing role? And then the last domain is around social and policy areas. We'd learn about social determinants of health how do I reframe or think about my practice and the patients and the populations I serve and the specific needs that might might change? And my textbook might say to treat something X, Y, Z, but how do I actually interpret it in the setting of the, in the context of the populations that I'm dealing with and, and this determinants of health that they're experiencing? And then lastly, the domain of policy. And I think this really speaks to the nurses, not just being clinical, right? How is the nurse practitioner an advocate for their patients? outside of the exam room? How can they contribute to hospital-based policy? How can they contribute to policy at the state level? And how can they contribute to policy at the national level and the federal level so that they can influence their own practice and their patient's access to their practice? I'm really excited about this through line through the content because policies for me historically always seemed like this big daunting thing that it's hard to get into and I don't really understand and it's complicated. And I have the opportunity to engage the group, use our resources like our government relations office here at Children's and, and show them how accessible it can be, how straightforward it can be, and help them to develop areas of their own interest where they can identify problems in their clinical practice and then do something about it at the systems level. So I'm very excited to include all those things across the curriculum. Sounds like a very robust program that you've built. And I'm excited to see um, as it develops and grows how successful it is. I know that it will be. Thank you for sharing that. And Julia? We have done a lot, I think, over the past couple of years in terms of supporting our APRNs. We have tried to augment our recognition, our retention, our recruitment efforts, build system enhancements. It's hard to pick one. To highlight some of them, we revamped the credentialing process. We created an associate clinical staff review and recommendation committee. So now APRNs are credentialed in a way that's analogous to our physician colleagues. We now celebrate NP week, whereas previously NPs were part of Nurses Week and we are nurses first, but it is always nice to celebrate NP week. We created NP or APRN awards. So there are three awards, clinical excellence, excellence in education, and um, excellence in leadership. And those three awards are associated with scholarships that NPs or APRNs can use towards professional development. 
activities. And Chris and I have been working on APR and Grand Rounds. So we rolled out Grand Rounds and it's been roughly a year that we have had experts within our own institution presenting their research, presenting their knowledge in their specialty, presenting education. We've heard about the Heart Center's fellowship uh, and their NP fellowship experience. We've heard about research that was going on in our general surgery department. There's been a wide array of expertise that has been shared. Licensure reimbursement, that was not just for APRNs, but that was significant for APRNs in terms of the cost of licensure of DEA and mass controlled substance license and your certifying agency and and all of those. So a lot of little things that I think have improved in terms of recruitment, we have worked to standardize our uh, student processes. So NP students, we are now standardizing our workflow and our processes surrounding that. We sent letters to the local deans in terms of how to ensure that students are routed appropriately to us placed with the appropriate preceptors, gain the appropriate amount of hours in the areas that they need those hours, and do it in a way that is safe and ensures that when the student shows up, they have access to PowerChart, they have access to the medical record, they have an ID badge, those everyday things that really uh, improve efficiency. The last and probably my favorite uh, is the APRN leadership structure. So historically, Children's has been somewhat of a binary institution with physician and uh, nursing chain of commands and leadership structures. Nurse practitioners and APRNs have been aligned with nursing leadership structure for good reason. But I think that we have had exponential unstructured growth. And with 650 NPs and additional APRNs on top of that, it didn't make sense anymore the way that things were structured. We know when we look at other institutions at our top tier peer organizations in the Boston area, but also at other pediatric centers throughout the nation, many of them have formal APRN leadership structures in place. And there's a lot of data out there in the literature saying that implementing these leadership structures, it really improves utilization, it provides role clarity, it improves staff engagement. It increases patient satisfaction. It results in financial gains. So sort of everybody from the provider to the organization to the patient um, benefits from it. So we have created a third lane in our binary institution. Instead of it being a two-lane road, we are a three-lane highway, I like to say, with dotted lines in between, because I think there will always be crosstalk between APRNs and physicians and nurses and the associated leadership structure. That is the foundation of our team-based care, and our leadership structure should mimic that. We implemented the role of lead APRN in July of 2022, and we now have 36 lead uh, NPEs throughout the enterprise and growing, and we are rolling out the APRN director role later this month and anticipate roughly a dozen directors. I think it's an exciting time for us. I went on a listening tour when I took this role and I heard loud and clear from many of the NPs, we want to report to NPs, that you want to report to your own profession. It lends validity to what you do. You feel 
understood and you feel like you have opportunities for leadership and for professional advancement if there are leadership opportunities within your profession. So it's an exciting time. And and that would be my favorite, personal favorite of what we've done. But I think we've really worked hard to try to better support the APRN community and executive level leadership has been incredibly supportive of us in doing so. When we hear feedback from our APRNs or our NPs and they say, this is what we need, or this is where we're really feel there's a gap or we're stumbling. And we bring that back to executive leadership. They have been very responsive in saying, go for it, try to problem solve, see what you can do. And it has been a really uh, wonderful process. It's obviously very exciting, not only for you, but I do think being external and seeing that growth and our nurse practitioner colleagues finding support in better ways has been really powerful to watch them feel that support. So you guys are doing great work and we are very excited to help support you in any way that we can. Um, and since you brought this up, Julia, it is NP Week. That's why we're here to help celebrate that. And so I am curious, I know that NP Week has a theme, so you wouldn't mind sharing what the theme is with us and some of the activities you have planned in celebration of NP Week. The theme of NP Week, which this year runs November 12th to November 18th, is recognizing heroes of healthcare. And we are celebrating NP Week in Folkman Auditorium on Tuesday the 14th from 1 to 3. We'll have our now annual APRN awardees uh, receive their awards. We'll have grand rounds. We'll have leadership there. Uh, it'll be a fantastic gathering. So I encourage those who can come in person to come in person. Those who can't, there will be a Zoom option as there is with everything these days. And we also have a leadership lunch on Friday the 17th where we're going to have our lead NPs and our uh, APRN leaders come to have a, a lunch together to sort of build that leadership community as we continue to grow and add more with the addition of APRN directors in a couple of months. Thank you for sharing that. And in the interest of our listeners, some of you may have heard that all that information after those events have already passed, but it sounds like MP Week is something that will be celebrated here annually. And sounds like a lot of these activities will take place every MP Week. Is it always in November? Yep. It's PA Week in October. Shout out to PAs. And then it's MP Week in November. Great. One of the questions we ask our guests are, what would be your legacy? What would you want your legacy to be? That's a loaded question. I would say I want to see APRNs all the way to the top. I want to see APRNs with a seat at the table from the bedside to the boardroom. And my goal is to get better representation for us. The legacy I would hope to leave within this group from an educational perspective and a professional development perspective is to really engage our NP population and empower them to see their role as expert clinicians and beyond. I think that there is a tendency to really think of yourself as a clinician and an only a clinician, uh, especially when we often hire NPs to make up for duty hours, right? That residents can work fewer hours. And it reinforces this idea that NPs are some sort of a, 
upon in filling clinical needs only. And NPs really have the expertise, experience, and potential to do so much more. And I would want, even if they haven't fully realized it, to my legacy would be to have every single NP feel empowered to realize themselves outside of the clinical space. But if Greg Durkin were to answer that question for you, it would be that Chris's legacy is that he is going to be the national or not international expert on uh, APRN transition to practice program. And professional development in general, right? It's an area that is unexplored. We've done a lot of thinking about nursing professional development and then sort of relied on a lot of physician resources to support NPs. But NPs are philosophically and fundamentally different from our physician colleagues. And so I believe require supports that align with our sort of philosophical and theoretical positioning. And so that's my hope is uh, to develop that here and to share that broadly across the country and across the world as the MP role takes a stronger footing. We had some recent professionals come from England and all I heard was they didn't care about the nursing aspect of things because they were like, yeah, we do that. We do that. We do that. (laughs) All they wanted to do was talk to Chris about the APRN development. (laughs) You know, the track you guys um, took, I think, is so invaluable. Like you said, getting your bedside exposure just adds so much, being able to practice in the NP role. A lot of the theoretical and fundamental backbones of nursing and caring for patients the way we do. I could talk about this for hours in terms of NP role and (laughs) how it's situated within nursing, especially like so we have NPs come and do uh, nursing orientation. And there's a lot of like grumpiness around like, well, I'm an NP. Why do I have to go to nursing orientation? And that's something I feel strongly about. And to your point, Teresa, about having bedside experience. I recognize the direct entry role into becoming a nurse practitioner, and often folks are coming in without bedside nursing experience. And, you know, I think that people can be successful. In fact, some of our greatest leaders within our groups um, have done direct entry programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, to connect it back to nursing, it's like nursing, my philosophy on nursing is is nursing is about helping the patient and their families to relate to illness and to have a relationship with illness, whether that's curative or not, is not really our role. Obviously, we want to trend towards cure, but that's not always. And it's more about how you interact and relate with them with the disease. And I think that's so fundamental and central to nurse practitioners and what set us apart is mm-hmm. that we, we provide plans of care, but we meet patients where they're at because we've taken the time to understand and to, and to coach them through how to relate to their disease process, whatever it is. And so I strongly feel like we are not just physician extenders or we're not just something to fill a physician gap. We are our own unique role with our own unique perspective and it's strongly situated in nursing. So if my legacy is anything, I want people to, I want RMPs coming in to like really understand and realize that they're nurses. Yeah. Like you are a nurse. You are a nurse. You are a nurse. That's awesome. I think it's amazing how and this is true for physicians, but like nurses are just expected to be moms and professionals and like do mm-hmm. all the things and do it seamlessly. And I think that that is a awful expectation to put on people. And there's a whole layer of like feminist theory you could put on top of it. But like it's for me is like, why do we expect so much from our nurse practitioners? And we have to liberate people from that, those expectations. Mm-hmm. You know? Anyway, again, I, I, I love to just start talking. I'm like, okay, now you really do have to pick up your kids. Great job, though. You are, you are absolutely right. It's <laughs> unfair. I don't face the same expectations as a man in nursing that women do. I, I, I wholeheartedly recognize it. And it, it just doesn't sit well with me. 
So I love it. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. We're wrapping up, but I just want to take a moment to thank you both for being here with us today, for your time, and for all the contributions you've made to Boston Children's Hospital. So thank you for that. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital, with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.